0: If you like listening to my conversations with interesting people, you'll love listening to them or watching them on Nebula, the creator-owned streaming service where you can get access to these interviews early and ad-free, as well as bonus episodes from my YouTube channel, and exclusive series you can't find anywhere else. Sign up for Nebula by clicking the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash joe to support the podcast and help promote content that matters. Hey everyone, so if you've been paying any attention to probably either of my channels over the last couple of months You know that I have been super excited about the, uh, the Bill & Ted movie coming out Bill & Ted was a big part of my childhood Uh, They've always been some of my favorite movies, so Seeing a new one coming out has gotten me really excited, and I've been looking forward to it for a while now But I am super excited to bring to you right now in this long video an interview that I was able to do with Spiros Mikolakis. He is the uh, science consultant on this film. Turns out on many other films as well. Spiros works at Caltech. He's part of a group uh, called the Institute for Quantum Information and Matter and they're doing a lot of really cool experimental stuff and they also do a lot of community outreach. That's kind of what he focuses mostly on. So um, I kind of stalked him a little bit (laughs) when I found out that he was the uh, the science consultant for Bill and Ted. I reached out to him, and thankfully he was willing to sit down and, and talk to me a little bit about his experience, Bill and Ted, and some of the other films he's worked on, and also just quantum stuff in general. It gets super deep. He talks, looks my face is gonna glaze over quite a bit in this, I'm just letting you know now, because I was I was just kind of struggling to keep up. It's it's some pretty interesting stuff. Uh, and he I just kind of let him talk, because he, he does a great job of that. So with no further ado, uh, I want to say thanks again to Spiros for, for doing this. I really enjoyed it, and I hope we can do it again sometime. Uh, but for you guys, sit back, relax, get comfortable, and enjoy this conversation with Spiros Mikolakis. Well, so is it is it Spiros or Spiros? Spiros.
1: So not Dish at the end, just no, regular not-ish. Spiros. Okay. Is, that, <laughs> is that Greek? Yes, it's very Greek. I think the only <laughs> language that has the name Spiros is the Greek language, I guess. Okay. Or- yeah,
0: my wife and I went there last year, um, so I'm, I'm practically a Greek citizen. I spent a week there. Yeah, um, no, it was it was beautiful. We went to Athens and we stayed uh, half the time in Athens and half in Santorini. Um, oh,
1: that sounds pretty nice.
0: The very touristy places, obviously, but
1: you have to if you're there for a week, right? So
0: yeah, it was beautiful. Uh, being over here, you don't see that kind of history, you know,
1: in Vegas. <laughs> there are miniature ver- uh, versions of this. So yeah,
0: sure, You got pyramids. You got the Eiffel Tower.
1: That's right. It's yeah. all right Jesus there. Palace. It's pretty amazing out there.
0: Pure America. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, why don't we just start by telling me a little bit about like uh, who you are, what you do, your background, and and ah, stuff.
1: sure. Yeah. Um, so my my the way to pronounce my name is Spiros Michalakis. Michalakis is the last name. Um, as, as Greek, obviously, it's very hard to pronounce, but also very long, but has a lot of power. Um, and actually, most people don't know that uh, Greek names, like when they end in Akis, and you may have heard Hadzidakis, other, other names like that, these endings actually uh, signify something. Okay. And um, they also mean that you come from a particular part of Greece. Uh, for me, it's from Crete. Okay. So is the, the major island on the south uh, of greece and it also means like the, the 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 kid version of something of a name right michalis michael right okay. is the the original like you know name for someone but if you say michalakis it's like if you have a little michael you're like you'll call them michalakis right
0: Okay, kind of nice like, thing, like right? Ito at the end of like Italian or something like that.
1: That's right, that's yeah. right, that's right. Interesting. Uh, so yeah, I'm a little Michael. So you're
0: a little Michael, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, So I grew up in Greece. I am the middle of three brothers. Um, we, uh, we all ended up somehow in science. We also all ended up going to MIT right after high school, one after the other. And that was, uh, that was weird because I didn't really get to see my brothers uh, while we were studying over there. I studied mathematics with computer science as an undergraduate there. Then I moved to sunny California for the first time because I'm back here now um, to study for a PhD in mathematics uh, and more like mathematical physics at UC Davis. That's where I fell in love with uh, bicycling and sushi, which is the best stuff. Um, and then I traveled to Los Alamos, New Mexico for my postdoc. That's like when you first do, uh, you know, work after you have a PhD, after you, you ask people to call your doctor. And, um, I was there for two years. And during the first year I worked on what is known as a millennium problem, not millennial, that's impossible (laughs) to solve. Uh, but the millennium problem, one of those that, you know, they put up there for, you know for humanity to struggle with, right. and, um, and it had to do with something known as the quantum Hall effect, which is the emergence of macroscopic quantum physics right, you know, to at our scale, uh-huh. um, which we thought for a long time that it was impossible, that quantum mechanics has to do with a microscopic world. And the reason I'm also bringing this up is because uh, you know, that, that will um, have some bearing to you know, the movie Bill and Ted Face the Music. So, anyways, I worked on this one um, uh, with my uh, postdoc advisor. We ended up solving the problem. So, yay for that. Um, just recently, you know, the, we got some recognition 10 years later <laughs> because <laughs> people were like, all right, you actually, we understand, you know, the solution finally. Um, but uh, after that, uh, I came to Caltech at the California Institute of Technology, which is in Pasadena, California. Uh, And I've been here for 10 years. Uh, Actually, yeah, today or yesterday would be my 10-year anniversary at Caltech.
0: Wow. And it's
1: been fantastic. A lot of uh, cool people. Uh, They're also smart, which is nice, Uh, from around the world and all stuff. And I've been doing research as a mathematical physicist, but also outreach, I have a very unique position here at Caltech uh, where I don't have to teach, it's very nice. Um, okay. And instead I get to, to choose what uh, outreach I wanna do to the public, which is also how I ended up getting entangled with uh, movie makers and with Marvel and with like Ed and yeah. Bill and Ted and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, well, so I, I tried to find some other films that you worked on, I saw Ant-Man. Yes. What about the yeah. Avengers, the... Um... So, so yes, this is
1: a quick history of yeah. um, how Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp um, and then Avengers Endgame uh, are all tied together.
0: Yeah.
1: So five, I think it was five years ago, five or six years ago, I was flown to Atlanta, Georgia at a nondescript location which turned out to be like a building in Pinewood Studios where Marvel was filming a bunch of their movies. Mm-hmm. And um, all I knew at the time was that I was going to be a consultant for a movie called Ant-Man. And I didn't know who Ant-Man was. I mean, I, you know, I did not grow up reading um, Marvel comic books uh, or even DC universe comic yeah. books. But I was, you know, like every kid growing up in Greece, Superman with like everything else stuff. Like I, and I had heard of Thor and Hulk and some of the other ones but I didn't know like about Anthem. So I, um, I remember uh, buying Wi-Fi on the flight to Atlanta uh, just to try to do some Wikipedia research or whatever on what that was, you know, because I'm sure it existed before and they were just gonna have a remake of this, bring them into the Avengers or whatever. Um, and I kind of fell in love with the idea that, you know, this, this tiny superhero, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. But it didn't have enough time. It was an hour long flight because I was actually in North Carolina flying like to Atlanta. Um, and I didn't have enough time to read about the microverse and all that stuff, like all the, the physics stuff. So when I arrived um, and Paul Rudd just showed up out of nowhere after his superhero training uh sweaty, <laughs> <semi-sweaty>, <laughs> and sat down and then everyone else filled out this very large conference table around us. Um, we had like a two and a half hour conversation about quantum physics because I told them, listen, you know, I I don't know what happens when you are ant size, but I can tell you what happens if you go quantum size, right? It's like, what is that? Tell us all about it, right? And I told them the laws of physics, like space and time lose their meaning as we know it. And that's where they got very fascinated, right? Because they're Mm -hmm. like, wow, that's very different. This is not about like getting super strength as an ant anymore is about being able to manipulate the very laws of physics if you know what you're doing at the fundamental scale, right, at the quantum realm. And that's also when I told them about the quantum realm and then became a part of Ant-Man and became part of Ant-Man and the Wasp with Entanglement because they brought me back in to work on the script with them and all that stuff. And then Avengers Endgame, you know, I had given them a lot of ideas about how time and time travel works and they just put it in there, which was very nice. And they had some consultants also uh, for a friends of mine, uh, jump in there and do some magic.
0: So, so they were already shooting the film and you came in and told them all about the quantum realm. And they're like, oh, we need to change the script.
1: That is very, yeah, I was so surprised. And that was for Ant-Man, right? Uh-huh. Because, because Paul was like, so Spirit, we'd love to have you over. Uh, you know, we're starting to film next week in San Francisco. That was back in 2014, whatever, whenever it was. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, how, how can you finish the script in a few days and start filming? He's like, oh, no, no, the script is done, but now we're gonna have to incorporate everything you told us. He was like, oh, wow, and that's when I learned <laughs> about the, the magic of, of movies, right? And, uh-huh. moving and how anything ever gets done. But yeah, they like, it was incredible. Uh, you know, if you've watched Ant-Man at mm-hmm. the very end, you know, it's like, how does he get back from the quantum realm, right? If the notion of space and time kind of disappeared, dissolved away, I does not know even where to come back to? There is no such thing as a a GPS of space and time, right? Einstein understood that as well, it's all relative. How can he be anchored to something that comes back out to the same reality from which, like, you know, he, he left, right? To go and save, like, you know, the world. And I suggested that during the concert, I was like, oh, you know, it's love. <laughs> I was kind of half joking because it was kind of interstellar style and stuff like that. Yeah yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's love. But it, what, the, my, what I meant by it is actually something extremely scientific, which is like a, an entanglement with someone else, right? Mm-hmm. A correlation, an anchor. Even if you were to teleport in either space or time, you need that bridge that maintains two anchors at the source, right? And the target and if he was the source, what was the target? Where was he trying to go, right? And that was his daughter. I said, like, what if it was his daughter? He really, that's the, the calling is that. And indeed, they put that in the movie, right? It was like, she's calling for him and he's like hearing, well, he's about to get lost in the corner. And it's like, Shh, and comes out to that again. So that was fun.
0: So you get to be that pretty was, creative was- about it. Yeah. you you know, just a guy telling them that they're doing everything wrong. Yeah, and I, you know, for
1: me, that's what, that's what the magic of the universe is. You know, like we don't know enough to know that things are impossible, right? So, and so in fact, the more I study physics, its foundations, its mathematical foundations and the foundations of the mathematics itself, the more I come to the realization that everything goes, everything really goes. And this illusion of order and truth and all that stuff It's just that, right? It's like particular perspectives, right? Points of view become so dominant that they crystallize, right? As a correspondence, like as an expression of the relationship to this underlying reality, they crystallize an answer. And that answer becomes like a pattern that we keep seeing again and again. Mm -hmm. It's not because that's the only way things can be, but that's the only way we can see them. Right, until we break away from that, using science or reverse engineering, you know, the invisible world and we make it visible.
0: That's actually really interesting that that you coming in kind of opens up more opportunities narratively than the opposite, you know?
1: That's right, that's what I love about this because when you think about, you know, you're a creative, you're a writer, you're like a celebrity, you know, and you're trying to figure out, is any of this possible? That's one of the first questions I ever get. Like, does it make sense? Like, you know, are we completely done? (laughs) <laughs> right, I have even an email from Paul Rudd, like you know, just the day after, who was like, "All right, so we're we gonna go back and like you know work on all the stuff that you told us, and then we'll share with you like you know what we come up with, and then you can tell us if we got it right or if in fact we are idiots." <laughs> 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 and that's such a Paul Rudd thing to say. I was like, "Oh man!" And they got a lot of it right. It was really awesome. But um, but I think it is. It it is uh, it's a beautiful thing when you create trust between human beings, right? Because you get to unlock superpowers that neither of you individually has. Mm. You know, I don't have the the creative powers and the training that they have to to express things in a way that like millions of people would fall in love with, right? I'm getting there, you know. it's Like with enough like back and forth, I'm getting there. I'm like learning uh, on my own how to express some deep ideas, but but at the same time from their side, right? They don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. So ironically, instead of feeling like, oh, I'm going too crazy here, it's too unrealistic, they're not crazy enough, right? That the structure allows you to really be more confident when you try to go deeper, right? And to go to a place that other people would be like, wow, this is crazy, you know, could this be? And if you have an inkling that yes, this could be under these conditions, Right, so the conditions become the focus. It's not just like this like imagination I could go anywhere. It's more like the structure of it, right? What are the different points? That's like when it gets cool. And that's what I love doing.
0: I have to apologize. My dog is like <laughs> knowing I'm in the middle of something important. So of course he's got to have my- You don't own.
1: have to apologize for your dog, okay? It would be no John Wick without like-
0: That's a good point.
1: And it's Kiana's birthday today, so- Oh, is that's... it really? That's right. That's cool. He is turning well, seven hundred and fifty-six years old. <laughs> he doesn't look a day over
0: fifty-six. He's immortal. It's uh, actually, it was kind of funny watching Bill and Ted. I hadn't seen him without a beard in so long. Yes. You know, it was kind of like. That's that actually true. Me like bit.
1: that is that is so true because the first time I met him. Which was when we did this anyone can quantum, which was a collaboration with Caltech and with Alex Winter and we had Paul Rudd playing quantum chess against like Stephen Hawking.
0: I was gonna ask you about that. I watched that earlier. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And That's I cool. just I just walked in like it was in Santa Monica, Stitch Studios, where they're gonna be doing some editing, and we just had him over just to to do his lines, the voiceover. Uh-huh. And I walk in, he was like this this Man, there's like broad shoulders, all that stuff, just sitting there with like a cigarette and just the the most like the definition of cool, okay? And I had no idea. We're just walking in and the motorcycle, like, you know, jacket and everything and the beard. And I didn't know. I wasn't expecting him to have beard, right? And when I just passed by before I entered, look, I was like, I just couldn't even help myself. Like we were friends for years. I've never met him before. Like Keanu, he looks up. He's like, oh, well, hey, you must be Spiro, right? And I was like, I can die now. I can die now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even know my name, right? Yeah. yeah. Know. So that was like, yeah. But then to see him, anyways, we can talk about this, but like last uh, summer when I was on set, fully shaven, I was like, whoa, that's, yeah. that's crazy.
0: Yeah. Well, so that, that um, I forgot the title of it, but the thing that you did with, with Paul Rudd playing Stephen Hawking in, in chess. That almost took five minutes. What a colossal waste of my time. So, okay, so, okay. I literally watched it this morning kind of in preparation for, for talking with you and everything. And, and I'm, I'm watching that. And the, the voiceover at the beginning, I was like, that sounds like Keanu. Welcome to the future. It's 2716 and it is most excellent what are the odds that they've worked together on this before, you know? And yeah. and then and then Alex pops up and does that little shut up, Ted shut line. Up, Ted. Like, wait, yeah. what's going on? And,
1: All right, Keanu. God, what's that line from Bill and Ted that will work so well right now?
0: Shut up, Ted!
1: Oh, yeah, that's it. Of course, thank you.
0: Shut up, Ted! And, and then at the end, it said that he directed it and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, so was that kind of how you got to know both of them, or did you know uh, that an- Keanu before that? Yeah, it's a
1: most excellent story, if I may (laughs) tell it. Most
0: triumphant.
1: Right. Um, I actually met Ed Solomon, Mm. uh, you know, one of the two writers uh, for Bill & Ted, the original, and all the sequels. And and I met Ed through a common friend of ours, Hunter Muntz, who is this, uh, you know, this genius from Harvard who's been, like, tutoring, like, the, you know, uh, the best and brightest. And he just somehow he met via someone who was a, a colleague of mine at Caltech at the time and just put us together. And then Hunter is like, you have to meet my friend Ed. So we actually went over to Ed's place in Santa Monica. Never met Ed before. Like, you know, I knew about his Men in black, right? Charlie's Angels. Right, so like yeah. other movies. I was like, okay. And, and Ed, And Ed is amazing, okay, like, but I mean, okay, I'm just going to put it out there right now. Ed Solomon, all right, Chris Matheson, Alex Winter, and Keanu Reeves are in real life, the most excellent people. Like it's not just, I mean, not just that they're very intelligent and deep and philosophical, which is the irony of seeing them portray like Bill and Ted kind of thing, and the, the writers behind, like UCLA, Like Ed Solomon studied at UCLA and he was either the number one, number two student of his cohort that year. Like he was just, you know, it's a comedy writer. No, he was the top student at all of UCLA right Mm -hmm. when he graduated. So, but they're incredible people. So I go over to Ed's place. I, I uh, bring with me two of my closest friends and and one of them actually is now has been my girlfriend since then right you know this is how i like hey you go hang out with that solomon
0: you're very entangled at this point
1: i know i found the way right and it, it was it was amazing like we had an amazing evening we became like close friends even just this you know evening he cooked for us all that stuff and he was also like hey you know if julian anderson hasn't gone to sleep she lives right next To me, let's just go because I'm like, I love X-Files. I didn't even know about Julian being right. Yeah. And anyways, we called her that night. It's like, oh, we're just about to like turn in, you know, (laughs) we didn't get to meet her. It's fine. But we uh, remained close friends. And when years later, Caltech was like, we need to do this big event for Richard Feynman and quantum computing and all that stuff. And I was part of the production team for that. I was like, we wouldn't it be cool if we had Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory, okay, and Stephen Hawking was a friend, was mm. a friend, um, you know, play quantum chess against each other, a game that I had been developing with an a, amazing um, graduate student at the time from USC, Chris Cantwell, and it was a real game, right, where you have quantum physics underlying a, a quantum physics engine, okay, so you're playing chess in the multiverse kind of thing. And there'll be more we can talk about that because we have new stuff coming out uh, soon. But it's like, wouldn't it be cool to have them, these super nerds, like, you know, mm-hmm. fight and trust each other over that?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We couldn't get um, the Big Bang Theory uh, uh, side to respond in time. So I said, well, I just did this consult, you know, with... Mm-hmm. Uh, with Marvel, maybe if I reach out to Paul, because I had his email and stuff, like maybe if it's one in a million, he'd be like, yeah, I'll do it. And sure enough, he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And I was like, oh, okay, so you'll play against like 700 Sure, of course, who wouldn't? Like, it was
0: like, okay, <laughs> great. Who would say no to that?
1: I know. And then I go back to um, uh, to the, the director of the institute that I'm a part of here at uh, Caltech and the institute that was putting together a big event at, uh, at Caltech. And I'm like, all right, so, You won't believe this, but I have Paul Rudd. We bring in Stephen Hawking. You know, how hard can it be to do the rest? And we have a month to do the rest, okay, before the event. And what does the rest mean, Joe? Because I am a quantum physicist, I'm not a filmmaker. The rest means you need the director, you need the writer, you need everything else, a crew, like, you know, that stuff. Yeah, the rest, okay. And so I kind of panicked. And I was like, "Oh crap! What? What? What do we? You, you know, at least I need a voiceover. I need someone to do the voiceover for this thing, right? You know, as they're playing, to be the commentator, right, of the quantum chess battle. And who would you think? Like, if I were to ask you, you know, like of the most quintessential like voiceover voice, okay, right, of God, even sometimes or whatever. For me, it was Morgan Freeman. <laughs>
0: That's exactly where my mind was. It was went. Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Like,
1: I thought, like, you know, I don't know. It's not going to happen, of course, but like Morgan Freeman. Who do I know that knows Morgan Freeman, right? And I had just worked with Ed Solomon on Now You See Me 2, the second movie. Oh, OK. And I just realized that Ed created a character named Dr. Michalakis in the movie, talking about quantum computing, right? Oh. It was like uh, the cool lady who was the, one of the four like, horsemen of the apocalypse, okay? And she was like, you know, it was, her name was Buffy, but also Dr. Michalakis, right? And there's this viral scene where they start doing all their tricks, like trying to take this quantum chip and you know, get, get uh, steal it away from uh, this multinational corporation. And anyways, we had just done this and Morgan Freeman was in Now You See Me, okay? He was apparently the bad guy in the first one. So I put two and two together, it's like, I'm gonna reach out to Ed, maybe one in a million that like, he'll get me Morgan Freeman. Right. And so, Ed was like, no, I don't know if I can get you uh, Freeman because he's, you know, he was dealing with some health issues at the time, but also he was like far away. But let me get back to you, I was like, okay. But, you know. So he gets back to me like a few hours later. I was at a quantum computing conference actually that Microsoft was putting together in Santa Barbara, California. And I get an email from him saying, hey, I need you to call me. Okay. Like, oh, like this is, this is important. I was like, okay. So I call him, I get out like of an important talk. Actually, I just <laughs> and I give him a call. And he's like, and so. this was Ed? That was Ed. Okay. That was Ed responding like, hey, you know, like I have some news for you. And that's when he uh, he lets me know that Alex winter Bill from Bill and Ted right is a director and by the way, I didn't even know who Alex was to be honest because I hadn't watched Bill and Ted at the time like oh, I, I was gonna you know, ask. growing up okay. in Greece I didn't didn't get a chance I missed this this beautiful like you know piece of art and I was like, okay Alex but I when he said like oh yeah and by the way Alex, you know, uh, is very good friends with Keanu, Keanu, Keanu Reeves, like he's going to do the voiceover. He's agreed to, he's like, wait, what? What's happening right now? So I have a director with a crew, right? Alex, okay. Right. I have the voiceover. I have pretty much all the pieces that were missing and then I just have to put it together. And that's what I did. And we got this, you know, uh, Anyone Can Quantum come out a month later. Pre- Premiered did at the event, it went viral and all the good stuff, yeah.
0: Yeah, that was cool. Um, so, so you didn't grow up with Bill and Ted. I was gonna ask if you were like really all that familiar with it before you came on board. No. It, it sounds like you kind of knew the guys long before that. I mean, at, at some point you must have seen the movie.
1: Uh, I, well, so <laughs> I saw the movie right before I met with Alex Winter. Don't uh, tell Alex. Hopefully he doesn't see. <laughs> it. Like I didn't even know. Like, and I, and I was, and he lives in uh, you know Pasadena area, right, like near where I lived, uh, which was very nice. But I was supposed to meet with him for lunch, right? To to discuss the financial aspect of it, but also like the creative aspect, because I, again, he was gonna bring a package and say, all right, here is what I need from you, right? In order for us to make this, and then we'll have to deal with Paul Rudd's people and all that stuff. And I meet with him. And I remember the night before I was like, I need to watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I need to, you know, I need to, otherwise I'd be like, it's an idiot. Just, I have to, because I didn't know, what I didn't know, right? So I did, I watched it, There's like, oh, like, so wow, what have you done? Most excellent, <laughs> you know, this is like really, really cool guy, why is he gonna meet with me? Anyway, so we ended up having a really great lunch. We, we, you know, became friends and we've been friends since then and yeah, so it was, it was very good.
0: Very cool. Good. Well, let me tell you how much I watched Bill and Ted when I was a kid. <laughs> um, I was, I guess, I guess I was a teenager about the time that it came out. And um, so I took a typing class in, in, in high school. This is a class that I've gotten the most use out of, of out of any class that I've ever taken because I type for a living now basically. But um, at the beginning of every class, he would give us like 10 minutes to just type whatever we wanted, just whatever. And then he would get into the, the actual you know, practice or whatever. And at the beginning of every class in, in 10 minute increments, over the course of the year or the semester, I typed out from memory the entire script to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure.
1: I, I should be interviewing you. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the wrong way. It's
0: that's just, that's right. just how much I was into it back then. Wow. Oh um, that is so cool. I actually did get to meet Ed very briefly one time at the Austin Film Festival.
1: Ah, that was a good thing.
0: he would not remember it because i barely remember it i just remember like that that i i was like standing around in a group of people and i shook his hand and said i was a fan and whatnot and that was that was about all it was but i I kind of fangirled over him a little bit but that's all right um but uh anyway so yeah i i've been a fan of the movies this whole time and um i've been saying before like this has just been a terrible year for everybody myself included and the the one shining bright moment was that there's this new Bill and Ted movie, and I've been waiting for this for 30 years. And it was like, I didn't even care if things got spoiled for me. I just wanted to consume as much of it as possible. I just wanted to like have something that it gave me joy in my life, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was how I ran across the the Rolling Stone interview where Alex kind of dropped your name. And and then I stalked you a little bit. So, <laughs> so in the emails, you're like, how did you know that I was? I you yeah,
1: I was like, I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of, yeah, my name out there yet. But that's... Uh... That's cool, I'm glad that uh, you did. And I'm glad that Bill and Ted Face the Music exists in the world right now, because it is an excellent movie, right? Like there's, the thing about it, it's not that, you know, it's, it's not some Oscar worthy, like, you know, movie or something like that. But what has worked so well for the Bill and Ted movies is that Bill and Ted in real life, Alex and Keanu, are really close friends. Like most people may not know this, they're very close friends, as in like, you know, because Keanu has been alone in life for a long time, despite the celebrity and everything, Mm -hmm. until recently, thankfully, and he's, you know, has something wonderful with him. I remember even just a few years ago when Alex would invite me over for Thanksgiving and he'd be like, oh yeah, and by the way, Keanu's gonna be there, right? So Keanu would spend time with Alex's family just to, you know, they are that close and they've been that close. And again, you in every interview um, they've done for the movie. Keanu honestly says that my favorite part about coming back all these decades later to do this is I get to work with Alex again, like as Bill and Ted versus just as like a voiceover in some of the things we did or some of the documentaries that Alex has done. And he is, Keanu's just, he's so freaking smart, but he's like, you know, equally kind, the same way that Alex is. Mm. Like Alex in my mind is one of my favorite people. I keep telling, like people that I don't even know. It's like, I, you know, I can just have lunch. Every time I have lunch with Alex, I feel re-energized. I feel like like I, I can just go and take on the world again. Right? There's if, a lot of people like, out
0: there that you can feel like that with. Yeah. Those, are, those very, are people you really want to cherish.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And I, I was—it was so good seeing him back on screen. Um, I know he's been doing a lot of work behind the camera. Most people don't know that, but but um, seeing him back out there, and he just killed it. He was so good. He's so. He was funny, so good. So... He just stepped right back into it. <laughs> he's such a, and in real life, he's just such a, he's like such a simple guy, right? You know, <laughs> as far as
1: like he's—he doesn't, you know, he doesn't. What I mean by that is like, despite his extreme depth. He, he's not pretentious, he's not, he's not, he's just like genuine, like it, it just relaxed, smiling, you know, but you know, when business is needed, he's creative and he does like, and just to see him, yeah. And I remember, you know, some of the back and forth while he was getting training again and voice training and all that stuff, he was like, oh man, you know, some of the actual like working out is brutal and I have to do Zappa and I'm doing Sobies Kids, mm-hmm. like, you know, this amazing documentaries that are coming out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how are you juggling everything? Right? He's like, oh, at least it's not as bad as Keanu, right? He's finishing jumping 3, he's doing this, now he's going to Matrix, like, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah. okay. okay.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, every interview I've seen with with Keanu for Bill and Ted, he's like in a hotel room in Berlin or something, because he's in the middle of, I guess, Matrix 4 or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so I guess we could talk a little bit about the 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 quantum conceits that are made in, in the film and, and kind of get your your feedback and and see where it all kind of came from. So the thing that stuck out to me um, from this film and, and every Bill and Ted movie kind of makes up their own rules <laughs> a little bit, especially yeah. Bogus Journey at the end, they really just kind of, it kind of goes off the rails a little bit, but it's still a great movie. Um, so in this one, and I'm, I'm going to try to be spoiler free for those who haven't seen it because it is still kind of brand new, but, but the, the basic conceit seems to be, and tell me if I'm wrong, that um, all these different points in time are kind of like time in superposition, right? They're all existing at the same time in parallel. Yeah. yeah. In all places and at all times. Yes. So is that an actual theory? Yes. Okay. So how does that go?
1: Yes. So this is going to get deep. Right okay, now. I'll struggle. Um, but I'm I'll try, try to keep it, it like fun and uh, breezy, while it's, <laughs> right? Um, so, the in quantum physics, so quantum mechanics, right, is um, uh, the best theory of physics we have currently, of how the physical world works. But often people think of it as being a theory uh, for the microscopic world, right, the microverse. but the deeper you get into quantum mechanics and quantum physics, the more it becomes clear that this is not the case. It is a theory for everything, not just for the microscopic stuff. Right? It's just that there seems to be some transition where the quantum realm gives rise to the physical realm, the objective reality that we're used to, where we all get to agree that you know, we're looking at each other, there's a table, you know, and it's not like you don't have the superposition, right? Yeah. The ability of things to be at separate states, different locations, different speeds at the same time. Okay, and is we there like,
0: any kind of, not to interrupt, but is, there, is there any kind of barrier between the quantum realm and the physical realm that we experience like at a certain scale? No, there isn't,
1: and think of it this way. Think of consciousness, okay? Ask yourself the following thing. At which point, how many neurons do you need to have consciousness? Is it 10? Is it 10,000? Is it 100,000, right? So it's more about the quality of things where the sum of things is more than its parts, right? It becomes something new. It's it's actually very simple to, to understand actually. If you think about biology, right? Is it really separate from chemistry? Well, in some ways it is, you know, there exist some dogmas like RNA to DNA and so on and so forth that you wouldn't think of them if you were to look at the chemistry level, right, underneath of biology. But if you were to squint enough and all of a sudden you look at things and they're more like coarse grain and you let go of the high resolution of how things are happening, reactions at the chemical level, then it starts to look a lot like biology, right? So that's what it really is that there is no clear phase transition. It's more statistical in the sense that if you like, if you take a very high dimensional structure right, with many different dimensions, say like 10,000 of them or even just like say 30, 30 dimensions, okay? But you're not capable of asking 30 dimensional questions. I mean something very specific by that, right? Like, you know, you can only ask like five dimensional questions of like the three dimensions of space, right? Where something is located. And then one dimension of where it is in time, and maybe an extra dimension of like what is its energy. It's a five dimensional like thing, but the actual entity itself is 30 dimensional. It has a lot of other dimensions along which you could explore it and get to, to find out what it really is about, right? So you project down to a low dimensional subspace, as we call it, right? A very high dimensional thing. What do you think happens? Okay. If the full high dimensional object has a lot of structure, but also like in its, it has a lot more potential where things, a lot more things can happen. But when you compress it down to a dumb down, down version of like a five dimensional like universe where we get to explore that, right? The projection down there. Then a lot of patterns emerge that don't exist, you know, on the higher dimensional space. A lot of truths emerge, a lot of laws, like the laws of physics itself. Okay. Okay. And that's what I meant also when I said biology is different from chemistry in the sense that there is new laws that appear at the level of biology that don't exist. They are broken at the level of chemistry below. Because you have things that you can think of as exceptions, but they're not. They're just the microscopic realm there has a lot more <laughs> configurations, possibilities, that then you get to only see a few of them macroscopically. That's the transition, right? That's a transition Mm -hmm. from physics to chemistry, from quantum physics to regular, classical physics of Newton and stuff like that. And this is like, you know, science itself is like a process of emergence, right? From one level to the next one. And as you Mm -hmm. go up, you get more meaning, right? Because you lose all the, you know, the exceptions, right? That you thought wasn't necessary because you find laws, right? Things that are almost always true. But when you look underneath the hood, they're not fundamental because right there, they don't exist, right? Yeah. And the one below has even fewer of them and so on and so
0: forth. So the laws that we experience in the physical reality are like an emergent phenomena of the stuff that's yes. going on underneath. I'm yes.
1: And I started down this path, like explaining this, because then you may ask, is there one law to rule them all, okay? Okay. Is there, if you go to quantum physics itself, which is supposed to underlie everything, right? You know, to explain every physical, you know, law and everything else that is happening in the physical realm. Is there one equation to rule them all? And there is, right? And that is called Schrodinger's evolution. This is Erwin Schrodinger, one of the fathers of quantum physics, just wrote down a differential equation, an equation that tells you if you plug in the state of the universe right now, it gives you the state of the universe like a small time later and if you string them all together you get to you know from the initial of say the big bang or something you should be able to figure out like the distribution of possibilities at any point in time okay okay so i started thinking where the heck does that come from <laughs> who ordered that okay why is it like this why you know where does that evolution itself come from because baked into it is the notion of time Right, it is like it is written in the equation. It's all about the time, right? The thing over which you are differentiating is time itself. So if I could understand where the equation came from, then I would understand like where time itself comes from and whether it is a fundamental aspect outside of like the physical realm kind of thing, or if it is itself emergent, just like biology is emerging from chemistry. And I did, I think I I had um, uh, an epiphany at some point. I was like, all right, There is an ambient space where time doesn't exist. A place where if you look at just part of it, then the equation emerges just like, statistically becomes like the truth. Okay, that's why it's so powerful and explains so much in quantum physics. But the thing relative to which the the part that evolves under the, the equation exists, that other half is what we call time. And there is an infinite number of states for time itself. I gotcha. from that point of view, when you put the two together, the whole thing is timeless, is static. Just like a, a chemical, you know, process which stops bubbling at some point because it is in dynamic equilibrium with the products and the reactants. And from the outside, it is timeless. It is as if it's not changing because you need change in order for time to exist. Without change, it's a more fundamental concept than time, right, yeah. then you, there is no, you know, ticking of the clock. And from the outside, it looks like there's no change, but if you go from the inside, there is this perfect dynamic equilibrium, whereas this changes this changes to catch up with it, you know? Like, and that's, that's why there is a line in there about like an infinite number of past entangled with an infinite number of futures, but also yeah. all of time exists at the same time, right? It's just a moment of like accessing a state of the other half of the universe, mm-hmm. which is outside of like space as we think of it, right? the thing that completes us and that is that's it and it's pretty cool because once you think of it as like we are in this half and the other half is what we call time but we just keep track of a label of it because we cannot explore it directly right It just has a mind of its own and we're mm-hmm. just trying to keep up then from time's point of view we are time like <laughs> on the other half right <laughs> they are just space like we are multi-dimensional and all that stuff and we just don't know this. We just think of dumbing down to like a single like point, tick, 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 you know, it's a one dimensional line. I would string together different frames of it, but we don't know its internal structure. But from its point of view, it also doesn't know we are like fully, you know, high dimensional objects and all that stuff. We're just a label from each point of view also. So yeah. I got a little blood dripping from, from my
0: ear, but I'm, I'm hanging in there.
1: That's right. That's the idea then that you have this infinite, time on one side that we are entangled every single one of our frames right Mm. of like of our states of being is entangled with a frame from time itself right from the other side and you have a superposition of them like a a full-on superposition an infinite one where for everything that happens to us the fact that we even know that change happens it's because on the other side right you know the state of time itself has changed Right, there's a difference Mm -hmm. because if it didn't If nothing changes around us, we don't even know. And even internally, right? We don't know that time passes, it stops, right? It disappears. And when that happens, it's not just time stops, space itself disappears. We don't think of it as humans, right? Like, you know, but if you go under general anesthesia, the moment you turn off the ability to create memories, right, to have a reference frame for what was before your previous state, then you go into a timelessness state, right? A state that like time disappears because there is no, you cannot perceive change. You cannot form memories or keep mm-hmm. them or be aware of them. And that's like all of space and that you did, your existence disappear, right? Like oh, everything just stops. <laughs> okay. There's, mm-hmm. there's nothing. It's not just a stopped frame on your screen. It's not even blackness or like slowing down of time, like in a dream like state. It just you don't even know you exist until you come back online yeah it's just missing okay, time
0: easy. yeah yeah um that is a lot to process hang on a second um it's all in the movie slowly...
1: if you if you slow it down and play it backwards
0: <laughs> you'll yeah. say paul is dead wait that's, that's right <laughs> um so in my head, so I'm watching the movie, the, the new movie, and I'm thinking back to like the way time was played with in the first two movies, right? Now, obviously you had nothing to do with that. So that's, that's, a, different, that's a different thing. But um, there's the whole thing of like going back in time and changing something so that it affects the present. Like the, he, he steals his dad's keys and leaves them behind the sign and stuff like that. So that yeah. kind of implies, um, would it be like a causal loop, I guess, or something? Is is that the right term for it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a fun thing that they did back then. Um, the, the good news is that there are no paradoxes. There's no grandfather paradox or anything like that. There can never be any issue. Um, and that's because time again is quantum and time, more importantly, is multi dimensional. It's not, you know, a single dimension. As I was saying before, that's why I brought it up. If yeah. you think of time as just like we are, But just from a point of view that where we don't get to see its internal structure it's high dimensionality and you just keep track of it like did you change did you change and change and by the way a clock the most basic clock is kind of like um you know a simple oscillator right like a simple pendulum like tick Mm -hmm. tock tick tock and it goes between a zero and a one state zero and a one state right and if you want to string them together because something else is kind of like a because that'd be a zero dimensional time, right? Either you're the zero or the one state to become a one dimensional time, you have to string them together and say, well, this zero was different from this one for this one, and so on and so forth, right? You're keeping track of like something else beyond just like on, off, on, off, right? right? You try to string them differently. But even so, if time is multidimensional say two dimensional, then not only can you go forward and backwards, at least on the quantum realm, right? You have the ability to do that if you can fight against what is called the arrow of time, the thermodynamic arrow of time. Mm-hmm. Imagine going left and right also. Just like we can in space, right? We just skip to the left or to the right. Then there is no such notion as a unique future or a unique past. It's just, you're accessing a different movie. Like imagine you're playing a movie and at some point somebody tells you, okay, I'm, I have a movie editor, right? So I'm gonna borrow a bunch of frames from a different movie, a parallel movie. And bring them and splice them in right to a place where the next frame was supposed to be that of the original movie you can put as many as you want there uh-huh. and then once you're done with them you can skip back to like up and now we're back to regular programming which was the main timeline right uh-huh. but the point is that there is no such thing as a fundamentally main timeline there is no such thing the the one that gives it the illusion that such a thing exists is what we call the thermodynamic arrow of time. It's what we call the second law of thermodynamics. Yeah. It's actually a very simple concept, right? It's a very deep, but very simple concept. And it's one of the laws in some, in most physicists mind is the most fundamental law of physics. And they're right, because it's not a law of physics. It's a very deep law of mathematics, which has to do with like, what I was describing earlier. You're a small a low dimensional entity is trying to understand a much higher dimensional one, you end up creating the illusion of order, right? Where certain things become much more likely than other ones. Even though everything is equally likely at the lower level, when you get back out to the higher level, right? Like the biology to the chemistry, then certain things become much more likely, you know? And it's um, like, if you flip a coin a hundred times, every single configuration if you have a a 50-50 chance of flipping heads or tails right every single underlying configuration of 100 heads or tails is equally likely but if you actually flip it in real life most of the time you're going to get 50 heads and 50 tails in some Mm -hmm. sequence Mm
0: -hmm. why
1: why is there a law right why aren't they all uniform again why can't you just get equally likely 100 heads in a row yeah and that's entropy that's like the idea that it's not a one to one correspondence between the underlying microstate and the one that we get to observe because we are this low dimensional entity, the zoomed out version, the macrostate, right? Mm-hmm. Where we take like billions and billions of outcomes and we have to bin them into like 100, right? And what happens is that you don't have a uniformity anymore. Like the, the, the way that these are distributed equally, any one of them is equally likely, you'll flip something they don't get like you know, to appear in the same way up here. And that's where order comes from. That's like, that's the idea of entropy that the thing that you will see next is not like some special state. It's the one that is most likely for you to experience randomly, right? If you were like to, and this is deep, this is very deep because it <laughs> reminds us that our point of view is not fundamental. The fact that we are like, giants of space and time doesn't negate the fact that like what we observe has microscopic underlying states that have a different probability right than what we perceive them to have so if you have like a macroscopic state that has an underlying population of like billions and billions of microscopic states that all look exactly the same from the zoomed out point of view Mm Like for example, getting fifty heads and fifty tails in some interleaving, like you know, configuration when you flip a hundred heads. This is this is why you're gonna get that versus hundred heads or hundred tails in a row, because there's only one underlying one for that. You have to get all of them the same way. There's no other combinations, right? You have to get every single one of them. Get like and get heads, 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 heads hundred times.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And so you have to remember that the probability of outcomes up here is determined by the actual probability of outcomes below. Because that's what's really going on. We just are not aware of it, right? So the arrow of time that Hawking talked about is nothing but this. Like the the second law of thermodynamics is not the fundamental law of physics, but it's so powerful mathematically that it is the same law that gives rise to truth itself.
0: So how long did it take you to get to where you have this view of things? Like, was it something that just kind of snapped into place at some point, or was it something that just kind of like grown over time?
1: There were a lot of things that snapped, but also I think it's because of my unique position again to interact with, with children and or with celebrities or producers from Hollywood or industry or whatever. People that are lay people who don't know the math and the physics that we know, say at Caltech. But who still are very bright, curious minds, like every human being, actually. And they have great questions. Mm -hmm. And they ask questions in ways that like make you stop (laughs) dead on your tracks. Be, how do I answer this? I should know the answer to this. Like if I were to write a bunch of equations down, like it'd be, you know. But it's going to be useless because if we cannot communicate this way. So what is the deeper concept here, right? Where we can relate or an analogy or something. And then when you go down that path and you end up like doing research grade, like, you know, stuff, but you get to understand things at a level that is even deeper than the mathematical framework that other geniuses came up with, right? And you're like, but why did they come up with that framework? You have to yeah. go to that level in order to satisfy
0: keep going. the person on
1: right. the street, okay? Yeah. Because they have to, but why did you, you know, it's kind of like when you have a kid, it's like, why, 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 it's like ah, right? <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to know the why all the way down. Yeah. And it's hard because you have to also remember like, you can't just become Deepak Chopra then and be like, everything's gonna just, you know, throwing bullshit around without knowing why, right? Yeah. Just because right. it feels good. And because you have enough wisdom to like make it sound consistent, but it could be otherwise also, right? and it's just a word salad, and you're like, I need to have the ability to maintain structure in my thoughts while I still try to detonate the foundations of everything Mm -hmm. and blow them up. I need to remember what actually still works, right? When you are ready to go down and, like, you know, destroy, like, the the first floor to see there's a basement below.
0: That's... That's actually a really cool point because I wouldn't consider myself an expert in anything, but in the channel, I have to sort of distill information to the lay person as best as possible. And I always say that if I can get myself to understand it, then I can get other people to understand it. But I think the best way to learn anything is to teach it. Yeah. Because it just forces you to organize it a little bit more in your head so that you can get the ideas across.
1: There is something um, very quantum about teaching. Okay, so, so I will say something extremely profound. Everything's quantum yeah. for you, isn't it? But so here, here's like, and yes. <laughs> and this is, is here's is why, right? This is the profound part about quantum physics. And okay. I've said it a couple of other times. But I want, you know, if I, I'm going to be remembered for something. I want it to be this, okay? Quantum physics, first of all, is not the end, okay? This is not the most fundamental theory we have. And it'll make sense why, right? Because quantum physics is another, Other theory of knowledge, like Einstein's theory of general relativity, it is a framework within which we get to ask questions. Okay. And the if it's ever going to be wrong, is not because the, the the mathematics itself was wrong, but because we made an assumption that we finally found a way to break epistemologically speaking, right? We were able to ask a question, which often has to do with like changing our point of view or like having a new machine or experimental device or whatever, which breaks the a particular assumption at the very mathematical foundations of the whole theory, right? Where it said, no, you will never be able to observe the universe in this way. And we're like, no, 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 we'll just figured out a way to do it. Okay, and once you do that, then all of the consequences of these axioms, right? Of this foundation may go up in smoke. And for example, when Einstein was trying to, why, why was he doing thought experiments? This is a very powerful thing, right? Like, you know, the theoretical mind, right? The human mind is infinite, right? We can understand everything. We just need to focus our attention and be like, all right, what do we actually care about? You know, uh, what, what questions do we want to ask? But he, he asked the question, I was like, what would it feel like to be traveling near the speed of light? If the speed of light is finite, okay? And it's that, you know, and it's also like the fastest anything can go, how could it be that the universe doesn't explode when you run with a flashlight? Because mm. we're used to adding velocities, right? If you're in a car and you throw a ball and like, you know, you throw it with 30 meters per second and the car is going at 50 meters, it's gonna be 80 meters per second we thought, right? But the faster the car runs or the faster you throw the ball, then you have special relativity kicking in where space and time itself have to reconfigure themselves, right? in order for you to not break the absolute speed limit. That every time you sum two velocities, they have to be upper bounded. They can never, the sum can never be larger than the speed of light. Which means what, a speed is what? It's a ratio, right, of units of space divided by units of time. So how can you keep something below some other quantity like the speed of light, right? Either you shrink, right, space or you dilate time. Mm-hmm. Guess what you've seen in interstellar when they're near gargantua like the black hole.
0: Yeah.
1: These dudes spend like you know, a few hours there and their friend back at the spaceship far away is like 35 years older. Oh, yeah. This is what they're experiencing. This is relativity. We get to experience the universe qualitatively different if we are different types of observers, radically different from each other. Like traveling at different speeds, accelerating at different speeds, right? You know, they're just their point of view that go beyond just moving our head around or even like speeding relative to each other. We have not unlocked yet. And once we do, magic will happen in this universe. I
0: like that. Cool. That's fun. Well, uh, we're getting close to an hour here, but there was something I wanted to do with you if, if you're up for it. Sure. Um, so for for the people who are listening or watching and maybe haven't seen the movie, yet, Kid Cudi um, has a has a role in there. He plays himself, and he he is your voice. I feel like because he's like this, this inexplicable quantum genius uh, who just like has all the answers to everything. Um, and so what what I did was so I saw the movie in the theater, and because I'm I'm who I am, I guess I came home and immediately bought it, and I watched it again last night. Uh, I wanted to kind of go through some of his lines. And the, basically, I'm going to call this, is it science or gibberish? Like, yeah. was it just something that he said to, like,
1: Yeah, sound cool and weird? Or is it real? Yeah.
0: All right. So when he first shows up, he walks up and he says, <laughs> My dog still wants to be in on the interview. That's awesome. <laughs> So so Kid Cuddy shows up and he says, so is this some kind of error in a holographic dual field? Is that the word that he says? Dual field?
1: Yeah. So uh, this is definitely um, real science. Okay. And in fact, it's cutting edge quantum physics and string theory. Um, It's supposed to be, is this an error in the holographic dual? Um, And yes, field, I guess that makes sense. But is what we call gate-gravity duality or um, ADS-CFT. This is the idea that this whole universe where we experience gravity and the rest of the laws of physics, electromagnetism and strong and weak nuclear forces, um, it's actually a hologram. Just like in a hologram, you have a two dimensional thing, you sign a laser and then creates the illusion that there is a three dimensional object to it, right? Mm-hmm. an extra dimension. The idea is that for certain space-times, certain solutions to Einstein's equations of general relativity, negatively curved, you know, space-times, um, we can show that this quantum field, these quantum states that exist in one lower dimension, give rise to an extra-dimensional bulk where we live and experience gravity. So gravity does not exist on the boundary of this hologram, right? Okay. But it exists like, you know, in the bulk. And more importantly, there's a deeper idea here that all the information you need to be able to understand what's happening to us here, right? And to explore also, you know, what's happening to the event horizon of black holes or the singularity of a black hole and in general quantum gravity. To understand quantum gravity, imagine if you can remove gravity from the equation Imagine if you can derive Einstein's theory of general relativity, which is the curvature of time into space, Mm. and we can go into that, why this is gravity. Imagine that you remove it from the equation, and then you go back to quantum-quantum instead of quantum-gravity, okay? Because you just have everything you need on the boundary of this theory, right? And that's just a quantum state, quantum field theory. So you have to understand that to, and then you can extrapolate every observation you want in the bulk where we live, to something that exists on that boundary. And so, yes, the idea was it was real that there's like something happened there, right? Where like this reliability and consistency of things at the boundary, there was a glitch to the code. And there is actually like okay. a quantum error correction like that is happening to make sure that our universe in the bulk doesn't just explode every time we flip our fingers. Mm-hmm. And then there's a fluctuation and then it spreads and is a supernova, right? So there's something deep going on here. So that was yes. that's, okay. that's
0: all right, so he follows that with, or is this a Wilsonian loop causing a temporal singularity?
1: Yes, so this is something else. Uh, Wilson is, this is real too. Um, Ed really wanted it in there, so I'm like, all right, okay. <laughs> we're gonna, you know, we're gonna add this, we're gonna go with this. Um, there is the idea of renormalization that uh, Wilson came up with, like a, a great mind, great physicist, that in order to understand What's happening at the quantum level, where you have very high energies and all that stuff, right? You you have to do a renormalization, like you know, a way of recursively, like trying to figure out how very high energy things give rise to the low energy universe that we we experience, and maybe there was like an issue there, right? There 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 was uh, something went bad, and and that's you know, the fabric of space time is not kind of like kind of coming together.
0: Okay. I think I follow that. Yeah. So then, uh, Billy says that she thinks that this is a tautological causal circuit or a classic yeah. tautological that was, causal circuit. That,
1: that was Ed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're like, no, no.
1: I was like, Ed, you, you, that's all you, you got this, you know, um, I tautological, it is what it is, right? It just means like, you know, it's, uh, it's not doing anything. It's just like uh, equivalent to itself. You know, it's a tautology. Like you haven't said anything new. So he just loved that word, I guess. So not put it in there. <laughs> the causal circuit is, you Einstein. know, you can, yeah. I just kind of like there is a causality to Einstein's equations. And then there is something going on. But I think that maybe if you were to Google it, I think you may have found it on the Stanford Encyclopedia of Physics. Maybe, maybe there is something to it, this topological, mm quantum circuit or a um, uh, causal circuit. I think I remember it just because I was like, why are you doing, why are you saying this in the script? I think I did some research at some point. I was like, oh, okay, I guess, hmm, yeah, maybe there's, there's something there, uh, but this is more basic general relativity. It's not very quantum.
0: Okay. And, and finally, there was a line that Kid Cuddy said, there, there were others, but I'll stick with this one. He says, to yeah. really dig the groove of the quantum realm, you got to choose a place to dig it from. Yes, that was my line. That was your line, okay. <laughs>
1: oh, yes. I was so happy made it verbatim in there. Oh, funny. Oh, man, and I had to teach a bunch of these lines so she could say them, like because I had to teach a kid, Cuddy, like, uh, like how do you say epistemological? How do you say these things with confidence and all that stuff? And some of the names. Um, oh, man, there's there's so many cool stuff and in there. But anyway... He's not even
0: an actor. I'm sure that he, like, just got the script and was going, dude. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Come on. There was a... Yeah, we, we smoked hard, uh, you know, to get to the groove. Um, no, I don't smoke. Anyways, but uh, but it was like, that was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, to to dig the groove of the quantum realm, get a, find a place to, to dig it from. Right, where is is forty six? Anyways, I'm gonna leave it at like that. But um, but yes, this is a real deal. And the idea is connected to what I said earlier that the most important aspect of the universe. Um, where the essence of things exist are not in the things in themselves, but in their relationship to other things. Mm. That's like, it's very deep. It's even at the foundations of mathematics itself with like a new theory called homotopy type theory. And, and that's, that's amazing because it tells you like it is that, that relationship is nothing but a perspective that you occupy relative to each other. You're trying to observe something right. What Plato called the thing in itself, the thing behind us where we only see like just shadows of it thing. Right. And not only have we been able finally to start turning our head to look at it directly instead of just at its shadow in front of us, the lower dimensional aspect of it. But quantum physics, again, as a theory of knowledge that allows for, you know, the ability of multiple points of view to coexist. It tells you, you just have to, to figure out where to view it from, what the right point of view is, and in, it will appear, it will be, you will be there, right? Because that's
0: where you dig it from.
1: Exactly. That's where you dig it from, right? It's up to you. You have to see it from the right point of view. And that's empathy, right? Like the ability to shift your point of view, your perspective, occupy a different one, and to not be calcified in thinking there's only one of them. Mm. And that's, by the way, the reason why they're trying to save humanity from all space and time collapsing in itself. Because think about how space and time can end with what we described earlier, right? If you're no longer able to change your point of view, which gives rise to change itself, which then we codify, right? With time passing. And if time does not pass, then there is no space an extent to space that you can perceive in a stuff. You reach stasis, right? You reach a steady state, right? Where you can no longer change. And that may be fine, I could be chill and everything, but it doesn't mean that you end, right? Your ability to experience change, time, anything, right? So- That is,
0: that yeah. is such a good message for this point in time. You know, um, yeah. Thank I mean, you. I didn't even look that deeply into it, just, just on the surface level of the film, it's the whole like people need to come together and, yeah. uh, and and even in the credits where they took all these, the footage of people like doing air guitar and they made it really yeah. cool. like. Um, you just really walk out with this feeling of like hope and optimism. What is that? I yeah. I've forgotten what that feels like. You know, I don't I mean, trust it anymore. It's a very
1: strange thing because shifting your point of view and you know mastering empathy, right, mm-hmm. is extremely difficult and often feels useless. Yeah. To see the world from someone else's point of view, who you immediately and intuitively consider as being wrong right what is the purpose of this what is the value in this yeah but yet those who have the luxury to travel to other places or to meet with people that are not like them and sit down and have a beer or or eat like you know whatever the local food and talk and talk and talk and talk right whereas in any other circumstance if you disagree with them you may like you know talk behind their back and be like, oh, these backward people. And when you do that, when you occupy that space, right, and you gravitate, you start shifting your point of view towards theirs. Even if you may not agree, even after the fact with them, be like, I still wouldn't want that or whatever, you have an appreciation Mm -hmm. for like how it is possible for someone to hold that point of view. And so it is for them. So that's why I was like, Ed, you know, quantum physics is not just cool because it will allow you time travel quantum physics is the ultimate theory of empathy. It is the ability to occupy points of view we thought were impossible. And so we were stuck thinking there was a single objective reality, classical physics, right? Because we thought we all see the world from the same point of view. That's why we agree there's a table here and so on and so forth. But if we were to zoom into the table, the table disappears. The interstitial space between the atoms is so vast that the electrons not only don't know they're part of a table, right? They think like, we are relative to the rest of the universe. Everything's empty space and there's little planets maybe here and there we even know. This is, this is I think profound, right? Like and we take so seriously the idea that there is a single truth even in science and we're trying to figure it out. Where I think like what is really going on and we really need to get with a program is we need the ability to shift our point of view and look at a single object with new eyes, right? The old with new eyes and that's where all the, the richness, right, of reality comes from. That's what we do every 100 years or so even with science. We're like, no, 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 we thought we'd figure it out. But then Einstein comes along, then Heisenberg and Schrodinger and like, you know, and always the old is fighting the new. They're like, how could it be? This works so well. Yeah. And you have to appreciate that, right? So pay tribute to it and say, yes, of course it makes sense. You, you did amazing, right? And you had to fight the people that came before you to have this more expansive view of the world, but just have faith. That what we're giving you is not something that throws away everything you've done, it's just something that encompasses it, right? It's a, it's a new place from which you can experience the
0: same thing. That is awesome. I think that's a good place to maybe leave off, but I want to give you a chance to, to talk about this, uh, this group that you're with at, uh, at Caltech, was it the IQIM? the Oh, Institute yes. Quantum Information and matter? Is that, is that still a thing that's going on and is that Absolutely. something I could lead people to?
1: Absolutely, it is. Uh, yeah, you can go to iqim.caltech.edu um, to learn more about some of the things we're doing. Like we're we're doing both theory and experiment, trying to you know make time travel and teleportation, but also more importantly, at this point, quantum computing and just basic science. Which honestly, for me and for most of us, is the most fun, right? That is not even like oh, we're looking for a payoff at the end, or you know. Yes, we want to help humanity, but we're going to figure out such amazing stuff you know, just by playing, right? doing physics, doing math, trying to like be you know, innovative. And, and for me, if there is anything that excites me about the future is I feel like, despite all the progress we've made in science and at places like Caltech and Stanford and MIT, um, we are just at the beginning. Right? It's like we literally just now opened up the next level, not even the final level, just the next level of what humanity will be able to comprehend and understand and its relationship to the world outside and each other. It turns out that is just it's like yeah it's a field day i mean you you know I look forward to kids you know for the next hundred generations just trying to to put together like you know all these. Uh, new Lego pieces that we will give them access to
0: cool, I feel like I could do this for another hour, but uh, my, my dog 's bladder is about to explode, and we oh. have other things to do, but maybe oh, uh, yeah. we can do it again sometime because I really I really enjoyed it I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, do you have any other 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 films that are coming up that you might be consulting on, or can you talk uh, about that um,
1: no there's some some things in progress and it 's getting to a place where the producers and the creators are asking me to be a producer. So not just like help with, which is very nice because wow. they really are seeing value in, yeah, yeah. in just the, not just adding science, but like the, how the science of wonder, right? You know, yeah. how to string together beautiful ideas. And so I hope that there'll be more of that. I really do, because there is a lot we can learn from each other.
0: Oh well, cool. I wish you luck with that. All right. Thanks again to Spiros for for doing this. This was a lot of fun. And and again, I hope we can do it again sometime. But uh, if you guys want to check out their um, Institute for Quantum Information and Matter, I want to make sure we get that right. I'll put a link down in the description. Uh, There's some cool stuff that they're doing. And I think they've got some online seminars that you can take and they've got videos and stuff. Um, But otherwise, thanks again for watching and um, be excellent to each other and party on dudes. Catch you next time.